0: Welcome to the Judgment Call Podcast, a podcast where I bring together some of the most curious minds on the planet, risk takers, adventurers, travelers, investors, entrepreneurs, and simply mind bogglers. To find all episodes of this show, simply go to Spotify, iTunes, or YouTube, or go to our website, judgmentcallpodcast.com. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube. This episode of the Judgment Call Podcast is sponsored by Mighty Travels Premium. Full disclosure, this is my business. What we do at Mighty Travels Premium is to find the airfare deals that you really want. Thousands of subscribers have saved up to 95% in the airfare. Those include $150 round-trip tickets to Hawaii for many cities in the U.S., or $600 life-led tickets in business class from the U.S. to Asia, or $100 business class life tickets from Africa round trip all the way to Asia. In case you didn't know, about half the world is open for business again and accepts travelers. Most of those countries are in South America, Africa, and Eastern Europe. To try out Mighty Travels Premium, go to mightytravels.com/mtp or if that's too many letters for you, simply go to mtp the number 4 and the letter u.com to sign up for your 30-day free trial. Um, so Charles, um, I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, thanks for taking the time to be on the podcast here. And we all heard quite a bit about you. You are often being quoted as the most traveled person in the world. And I know you also have a, another busy life. You're, um, you have been a software executive. You've been involved in a couple of technology companies here in Silicon Valley. Give us a bit of a background. How did this all get started? Um, how exciting it is! To, it is to really be the most traveled person on earth.
1: Right. Well. Well, we can get into the definition of of most traveled, and um, you know whether anybody thinks I am or or not, or whether I think I am or not. Um, but yeah, I've, I certainly have traveled a lot, and I do love to travel. You're catching me at a. Kind of strange time because it's the it's the pandemic and we're just we're just uh slowly coming out of it here like i might be able to get a vaccination starting april 1st um and i you know i just haven't been traveling as much the last year but anyway uh to answer your question when i was young i didn't have very many um means of, of travel my family has never been travelers and um so I used to dream of of places and and I loved maps and i it would just study road atlases and pretend that I was driving uh, different places I wondered what they looked like. I began to collect stamps and um you know stamps besides being pretty they have the names of all these different places on that you that you had never heard of so not only you would look them up on a map, but you can see on the on the stamp that it um, that it belonged. You know, some of these these obscure places belonged to other countries, and so this whole idea of colonization. And um, and then you might see a place that had like the Queen of England on the stamp at, at one point, and then it was stamped over uh, by a German. You know, German words uh at another time and then it went back to queen of england or you know just different different changes because stamps started uh you know around 1850. so that was kind of a lot of history that you just absorb by sort of looking at them and collecting them and uh, also i think i have sort of a collector mentality where I where would collect baseball cards or i would collect collect stamps and you try and fill in all the different gaps uh in the in the book of of stamps or coins as the case may be um, but so all of those, all those things without being able to travel uh, meant that I, you know, I, I think I wanted to a bit more. Um, and so when I was a bit older and I had the chance to travel, uh, every little opportunity and every experience opened up new horizons for me. And they were so pleasurable that I just kind of wanted to do more and more. So it's kind of the the more, the more access I got, the more I did. And the more I did, the more I wanted to do. Um, even that said, I'll just, I'll just, you know, kind of take it one, one stage further. So I was still kind of normal guy, 50 countries or, you know, I didn't even know how many countries I wasn't counting. Um, but I decided to take a year off when I first got married, not a year off, but a year abroad. And, um, it was for languages. So I, uh, I, I decided one of the things I wanted to do um, after I'd been you know, working so hard on this internet company, we went public in 1998, and then I had the chance to you know sort of retire, or at least take the time to travel around. Uh, and I decided let's take a year abroad with my new wife. And one of the things I wanted to do was to speak five languages and, and be, I wanted to be like James Bond. So like I hadn't, I hadn't traveled. Uh, and I would, you know, see James Bond kind of cruise in, speak whatever, whatever language uh, that he needed to, the girls would follow him. He could, uh, get whatever he wanted. So that was my goal was to be fluent in French, uh, Spanish, English, German, and Italian. I thought those are the, like the, the James Bond languages. So it's very European focused. And, um, so part of that year abroad was to go study in France, study in Germany and study in Italy. So my Spanish was already pretty good. My English was pretty good. Um, so that, that kind of got things started. So I, we set that up, was gonna live for three months in Munich and in Paris and in Rome. And uh, along the way, I discovered around the world tickets. And so around the world tickets, like put me into a frenzy uh, because I realized you could get so many different flights the price you know and you could do it in in first class for the price of economy or less than the price of economy if you would just you know solve the problem a little bit better and uh work on it and continue to optimize and and so for all these reasons i just started like like i dropped the language study and started doing more around the world stuff and then when the one year went into two years the two years went on and then i discovered the Traveler Century Club list, and um, after that, it was all about counting and trying to get to the new places off off the list, a more complete list, and rather than just saying, oh, we've not been to Machu Picchu, let's try and do that. If I've not seen the Great Wall of China, let's you know, let's try and do that. So kind of a long-winded answer, but it started with like geographical interests as a kid, and collecting, and not being able to travel, and then... When, you know, the more travel experience I got, the more I wanted to do it. And um, and the, you know, once I got the chance to take a lot of time, these whole round-the-world tickets and the Traveler Century Club inspired me to just do more and more. And I I I really never intended to go that to go that far with it.
0: I really like your analogy and that 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 picture we have in our mind. And, and I think that's that's amazingly honest. I think a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't mention it, but I think the the James Bond movies must have contributed a lot to the global travel <laughs> demand. Um, I, I can say that for myself, and I know a lot of my buddies have the same impression. It doesn't mean you turn around and go travel to 193 countries, but you definitely think, oh, there is something there, right? There is just this this <laughs> idea of the well-traveled person um, that travels in style, that has a certain character and charisma, um, and you can do all this without traveling but it seems like travel and the just a simple exposure to new things and to right. our cultures and to other places it definitely contributes and it's this this there's a there's a moment that i always remember it's equally silly it's very hollywood inspired it's it's some something we got, we put some someone put something in our brains but there's a scene mm-hmm. in indiana jones where yeah. um they talk about another one movies. indiana
1: jones Indiana yeah. Jones,
0: who you know, he he comes out in anywhere on the planet, and he he's fine, right? He speaks the local language, and he can can communicate. He knows what he's what's yeah. up. He knows how to 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 navigate in that particular different uh, cultural environment. And uh, one of his friends is being taken and is being abducted, and is, or has just been released from his abduction. And uh, they they say, kind of jokingly, well, he knows 15 different languages. He knows ancient Greece, Greek. And he's fine. But this person is the complete opposite. His co-worker, right? That right. person would get lost in his own office. Right, so right. There's, there's more to this. Uh, and I think the, the, the extreme you have taken it, 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 it's something that is very memorable. And I think this is still a relatively small club of people who travel to every country on the planet. And I think, if I read that right, you started um, a community of people that go not just to the 193 countries because they mm-hmm. felt this list is too boring and it's too easy to do but they go to a bigger number of places I, yeah. I don't know what it is to be honest Help me! you have to help me out and it's called most traveled people right
1: right it's a just um to start back with the uh, james bond and, and indiana jones if you, you know if you haven't traveled very much at all which you know 90% of the of the world just hasn't traveled all that much so you look at someone like James Bond or Indiana Jones you think oh my god that's you know that's, that's such a different level um and i you know i i, I want to be like that and then you know the more you go the more you realize it's a, it's kind of just it's a character first of all and um and you realize that uh once you've been somewhere, then, uh, you know, there's this dopamine or adrenaline rush of being in a new place that um, if there's danger because you don't know your way around, you haven't experienced things, uh, you could make a mistake. Um, and so when you come back to somewhere, you, you completely feel differently because you know your way and, um, and you feel like you want to guide others, right? Yeah. So it's that kind of confidence comes from having to push through those new experiences, and I think that's what that's what drives people beyond the 193, um, and to keep going and you know get one more thing and one more thing because once you've done it, you figured out the logistics of having of how to get there, and you've you've seen it. I, I think that. Um, you know certain people want to take comfort in going back uh, only to the one beach house that they may have or the Dacha, or uh, Disneyland or or something like that um, and other people you know I, I take comfort in in going back to places, but I just have a wider variety of places that I feel comfortable going going back to now yeah. um so it kind of,
0: it's it's this escapism, what you described. I think over the years, that's, that's been really important to me, too. I had this, for me, I must say, it was a bit like escaping a potential depression. And the way it works mm-hmm. for me, my mental model, is I tell myself, well, I'm for whatever reason, I'm not happy here. But this might just be that moment. That might be, you know, it could be a relationship. Mm-hmm. That could be the particular place in that second mm-hmm. because I don't like the noise on the street. So whatever it is, it doesn't have to be a big thing. But what helps me is this escapism, and I think this is, has become really mainstream, is that I, I can picture myself um, in a different environment. Mm-hmm. I know there is a better environment for me out there. So if it gets really bad, instead of you know, being really depressed, I can go to the place that really makes me happy. Mm-hmm. And this is often, I don't even have to go there. Like the the, right. the the actual travel is great and I would do it in a heartbeat, but it's not required. It's, it's this, okay, I know a place where I'll be fine. I know mm-hmm. a place where I'll be comfortable. Yeah. You know, it's been like a religious theme, so to speak. It's yep. um, This could be a place, heaven, when people talk about that in in a Christianity, but in other religions, there's always this place where you're close to God, close where you're comfortable. And I'm not saying that these places are actually different. They're different to me, though. I feel comfortable there. I feel at peace for a certain amount of time. I probably can't exist there for more than a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And that escapism really helped me to, to reduce my own anxiety, to to see the world in a much more relaxed play, way than I would otherwise do. And I kept adding places to my list. And sometimes I went back and then I'm like, well, this place actually I misjudged. It is pretty terrible. But for me, <laughs> this this constant juggling around places where I could feel comfortable has really improved my life. It's made a huge difference.
1: Yeah, and so the you know, the bigger your database or the bigger your repertoire of, um, you know, locations that you can think about the, you know, the the stronger or the easier it would be for you to escape and imagine imagine different things. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned. Yeah, the travel part is okay, but just thinking about it is uh, sometimes even more pleasurable. So, for for a lot of a lot of people, just planning the trip is takes more time and or they spend more time and is uh, just as pleasurable, if not more so, than the, uh, than the actual travel because it's in your imagination, right? So you, you don't really think through the jet lag, you know, if you're going someplace, you just think, oh, well, it's at this many hours and I'll arrive at this time. You don't, you don't, um, you don't think through, oh, it's going to be raining. Uh, you think, so everything is, everything's going right when you're, when you're planning. And, uh, and so it's, and especially you're researching some someplace new and you're trying to choose, you know, different sites around that uh, region or that city that you're going to, thinking of restaurants, thinking of what, you know, whatever you may think of, it's it's kind of a limitless palette. And, yep. you know, you may only have three, three days, four days, five days. I would say that, um, you know, that there's also people that like to, just put their self in the hands of a guide, and get you know get to see everything that way, and not have to deal with the uh, potential you know translation problems or or, or whatever maybe. There's some people that really want to d- do it themselves. You know, I I, I want to break through the barriers myself. I don't like being restricted by having you know having or I can't afford a guide. Um, but it's that you know how much of the ownership you have on this uh, on the planning part of it i i um you know i i myself one of the, i think one of the big lessons about travel that that i've learned over the years is you know it, it's really fun to plan out like a really detailed itinerary and agenda um and try and fit things in and work it out so it's like a tetris where everything fits but you know reality is going to get the way it will be raining or you know your baggage didn't show up or there's no transport or people are on strike whatever it may be there's going to be things that throw you off so what i what i say is to to plan that way as if every minute is is filled and but then be be mentally prepared to just throw that out the window and the fact that you the fact that you really studied so hard before you will make better decisions on the ground right because if 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 you if you ha- if you just put yourself in the hands of a guide or if you only if you only had one set agenda and it rains for example then you know what are you going to do stand in the rain or lose a day uh, you can you can actually move things around and and enjoy yourself much better if you, if you, you know, the more that you research, I mean, you're never going to research so much as if you live there. Um, but you can, you know, the more you, the more you do, it's, it's a beautiful thing about travel. The more you put in, the more you'll get out of it. And, um, and the research is actually pleasurable because you're, it's, you have this escapist, uh, quality. So, you know, why not always dream about, about going to new places?
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm fully with you, and uh, you know they say the best laid plans they don't survive the best. Uh, mm-hmm. But with with travel and I, I fully agree with you. It's it's the preparation it can be as much fun, and uh, I think a lot of people had their plans cancelled this year, but they still have that joy of looking at new places. That's kind of the only thing we have um this year, um for a lot of people. And then what I think is important is that these situations, these randomness, and um, sometimes you could say that poverty is a blessing in, in travel because it forces you to be in more random situations which are uncomfortable mm-hmm. and scary in that way. Yeah, yeah. But they create more, and I learned this from Boris. I mean, we talked a lot about you know, how far should you plan and how much tech should you bring and how much, mm-hmm. how much are you in the tourist route because you only want to go to the best places. Mm-hmm. And I looked for at um, the app that you, that you published with uh, the most troubled uh, people, most traveled places. Um, and I think you, what there is an emphasis on, say, there's two places in Addis Ababa that you need to check out. So there's one restaurant, there's one hotel. I, th- I don't know how they got there. And then what I would do, I go to Foursquare and there's like 100 places or say 50 places. Mm-hmm. So like my top 10 and I go through them and happy. And then yep. what with the problem I talked about, the bars is a bit... He says, you know, it, that is your first problem. You should never do that because what you should do is you, sh- you should allow for enough randomness of serendipity. You should talk mm-hmm. to locals. You should even if they don't know, you will know things between the lines, and it will tell you more about the country. Even if you don't speak the language, even if there's lots of barriers in between, mm-hmm. this in between this randomness is for him at least what travel is about. I travel differently, right? So I but I wanted to learn from him. He said, you know, if if you go fully technology free it looks really scary but at some point it it's becomes more memorable it's a more deeper mm-hmm. experience i don't know if you can share the same thing or i don't know how you prepare for a new trip
1: yeah so they, we got a, a lot of things um in there first of all boris uh boris kester that you've had on your show he's a great he's a great guy um and he uh he, he, I, I believe i haven't i've only traveled with him a few times and it was in a in a group but um but but like we're facebook friends and so what what i see is he's doing a lot of hiking for example and um you know and he's moving around in some pretty remote places um and and so on my on on most traveled people two of the categories of things that we have are uh, restaurants and hotels but those are like the the most expensive ones and so it's come that's a completely different Style from what Boris is doing, but it's just—it's a—it's a a completely different audience. And you know, the—the logic there is that there are there are certain people who do collect those things, um, and you know, for monetization, that's probably the audience that you would rather have than than just uh, just the backpackers of the world who you know who who wouldn't be getting. So many expensive things. So it's that's that's kind of just a separate rationale for having these couple of lists. Um, you know, if you're going to be traveling, you're not going to want to eat Michelin tasting menus every day, even if you could afford it, right? But they're you know it's these these are lifetime endeavors, right? So it's uh, most travel people is more about how many parts of the world have you covered and, um, in it's in your lifetime. So it's not like in one week, what, what do you do? Um, and you know, one of the, one of the lists in most traveled people is of the world heritage sites of which there are, you know, just over a thousand worldwide, but many of those have, you know, a dozen or more, uh, children child sites where so they like the, the site is composed of many different small sites yeah. right and so there's some something on the order of five to ten thousand actual world heritage site locations around so it's a lot of that's a that's a lot of stuff and so if you're gonna if you're gonna try and collect those that uh, that's I think I find a lot of people do that who want to get out to the remote places and you know this is something that united nations unesco has deemed to be of of significant value of course some of them are are better than than others but it's just um you know that's a good that's a good list to follow too um in terms of in terms of preparation for a trip i try and i try and bring as little as possible because uh you can get what you need most most anywhere like for example if i'm going to a different climate you know unless it's sort of like a polar expedition where you really need to have your gear all all set or if you like you know you're going to be going on these massive hikes i i have my hip replaced one hip replaced and the the second hip needs to be replaced so the massive hikes have not been happening uh for me in particular like i could not keep up with boris for uh more than a few hours uh probably yeah. But so I, so I don't need to bring so much gear. Like I need, if I'm going swimming, I want a swimsuit. And if it's going to be, you know, if it's, if it's going to be cold, I'm going to bring a coat. I mean, I don't, I don't, I I get the simplest kind of suitcase as long as it's going to fit in the carry on. Um, You know, I have my, Prescription drugs and things that you can't get uh, anywhere else But otherwise I just feel like you can you can buy it there. And in fact, that's part of the fun one of the yeah. best one of the best like little adventures as well I'll, I need to find some shaving cream or mm-hmm. toothpaste, Or something so let's let's go to the local market. Let's figure out what's going on around here and yeah. um, We'll spend the, the morning trying to pick up the the essentials and live like a local. For the, you know, to to have these kind of errands is a lot of times a better activity for learning about that area than having a guide take you to, you know, a view, viewpoint.
0: Yeah, absolutely, I fully agree with you. I went um, with just my laptop bag. So just what I was wearing in my laptop bag and one warm coat. I went on a four-week trip around the world, went to, to tropics, went to um, really cold, minus 10-degree weather. Um, I did exactly that. So literally, I had my laptop and my phone and yeah. chargers mm-hmm. and nothing else. And yeah. it was really cheap. It, it was without any big drama. Um, I did a little bit of prep, of course, um, but it, it was much easier than I thought. Usually, I have at least the carry-on where basically I'm covered for all climate zones on that trip. I wasn't. And I enjoyed it as much, if not more. Yeah. I kind of looked back to it and thought, man, it gave me an extra step of freedom. Right. I didn't have to worry about anything that I had to lock around. Yeah, I don't have to go from the airport and store my luggage. I just go wherever I want, and I don't have any any luggage with me. When you yeah, when you talk about yeah,
1: no, as you're saying about about the clothing, if if um, I mean think about think about the 19th century and some English guy going into Africa and wearing this like safari suit. Okay, that's sort of like you know imposing. What you think ought to be worn, into that place, and you and you have to go out of your way to find it. And I don't like spending too much money at places like North Face, you know, where it's all super expensive. But if you, you know, if you have any doubts or you wonder what people are wearing there, um, and you don't know what the climate's going to be like, well, make that your first stop. Like go and uh, go and just pick up some cheap local clothing. It's it. It's probably going to be a lot cheaper. Like I, a pair of shorts that I wear uh, the most is $8. was $8 at a Taiwanese night market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like wear them. You probably could have gotten it for clothing. half the
0: price. In the yeah. Half, I'm, absolutely. Uh, you, you mentioned the World Heritage uh, sites. And uh, from, from what I know, again, correct me if that's, that's not correct anymore, you've been to 9,000 places. Right. So I don't know how these places are defined, but it uh, sounded like a massive list. So have you been to all are the you, World Are you saying 9,000
1: on the World Heritage list? No,
0: 9,000 in your ranking, right, from, from what you use for most travel people?
1: No, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, around 900. It's 900. 900.
0: 900. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. It's uh, just under 1,000, yeah. Added, added a digit there. What does that mean? So when we think about the World Heritage sites, mm-hmm. you said there's about 1,000 out there. You've been to 90% of them?
1: No, for me, no, no, no. World Heritage. So that we have different, we have different lists. So even okay. if, so, MTP is a breakdown of the of the world's regions. Let, let's just take a step back because we, you talked about the UN countries, of yeah. which there are, there are one hundred ninety three, um, and that's kind of a easy categorization for people to to start with. Um, but pretty quickly you realize that that doesn't really. Have as much color as the as the real world, and it starts to starts to break down pretty quickly when you think of you know Greenland with Denmark, or my you know my first experience with that personally was I was 19 years old, and I was able to stop in French Polynesia on the way to uh, on the way to Australia. I had a semester in Aust- in Australia, uh, and and so French Polynesia is is an overseas territory of France. It's exactly the opposite side of the world. Um, and I think I think at that time I had never been to Paris. So you know, would you do you count that as something? You know, have because I went to Tahiti. Does that mean I never have to go to Paris? And I say that I've been to France. It's sort of there's yeah, two it seems different- easily
0: hackable. Like it seems like, and I was I was chatting with Boris about that. There seems to be a bunch of people who literally just go for the passport stamp and they don't even stay a night. So
1: the mm. 193 is became yeah. an endeavor you can do in six months if you have free flights. Yeah, well, that yeah, that's a that's a whole whole another topic we, we get to. Okay, right now do, I'm gonna, I'm trying to get to what is the MTP 995 sure. composed of. So so we we'll start with the 193, and you realize that it starts to break down when you think of Puerto Rico, French Polynesia, you know Greenland, um, and so what it as I was uh, starting. And, trying, and people were asking me how many countries I had been to. I was, I was on one of the, my first around the world trips and uh, I, I thought I didn't know and then I started counting and I thought well Tahiti should be something different, right, someone should make a list. And that's when I discovered the Traveler Century Club list. So uh, that is a club uh, based in the United States which has around 325 or so um, items. And so that goes into a bit more detail, like Greenland's a separate thing. Um, and, and French Polynesia split into two or three parts. And um, so I started following that and realized, wow, I have a, I have a long way to go. Um, and so that was kind of the next step. And as I did more and more of that, I was, you know, I was going to complete that. I realized that Guinness had been maintaining a separate list. And I thought, wow, there's really no official kind of list here. And I'm learning as I go that many places are like uh, the Traveler Century Club list is really kind of arbitrary and it's not split up the way it should be. So that's how I started um, conceiving of Most Traveled, MTP. And um, when I first put together MTP, it was 573. And I took Traveler Century Club, Guinness. Um, I took the ham radio list. So the people who do radios have their own sort of geography uh, way of counting the world's land area. And I kind of rationalized all of that. And and whenever there was an overlap, I split out the overlap. And that came to 573. And then I started the club. And people would vote on how, you know, on what next things should be done with the list. And so over the years, that's grown now to 999.95, I think and uh much of that is with the larger countries splitting those into into regions like you know us has 50 states um and russia has 90 um oblasts or you know it's the equivalent of states or provinces and so the large countries um doing that Um, and then just some other island groups that people hadn't looked at as being separate uh and so it's it's an evergreen list no one's close to completing it um right you know for many many years i was not on top right now i happen to be but there's other people that could catch me pretty easily if they if they really wanted to um so it's it's a it's a kind of a shifting slope i try not to change it too much but we do change it a little bit every year um at new year's so new year's places and when you
0: when you look at the these these particular places that you haven't been to are you more drawn to say you optimize a strategy Say you go to russia for four weeks you go to every single oblast or every single province in china it seems like if there's 90 you could jump up in the list quite a bit yeah yeah is that something you you feel motivated by, or you feel like no, there is the secret at all in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean? I've That's been it. dreaming about going there for a long time. I didn't have the resources, I didn't have the opportunity. I'd rather do this, even if it's ten times more expensive than going to Russia.
1: Yeah, so it, you have to you have to want to do both. Um, if it if your motivation is is just about those you know numbers. First of all, Russia is not all that easy to get around, so it's not so easy to <laughs> to pick up lots of places quickly. Well, what's hard about
0: Russia? I, I felt renting a car. I've been there many times. Yeah. Renting a car, yeah, you just yeah, go yeah. from west to east, and then you drop off your car in It's it's
1: it's easier now. I should I should say well, you know when I was doing it, um, the road wasn't really built yet uh, across from Cheetah onward to 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 Um so that that part was a little bit difficult, and then, of course, there are a lot of northern provinces where you can't you can't really drive, you have to fly oh yeah, true, yeah, so um, but yeah, I mean certainly in the European car part, you could just drive around and um anyway for for your question, you have to want to do both um some people just say, "Oh, well, I don't like remote islands," or some people get really seasick on boats, and so they they tend to not want to go on those on those longer trips. Um, But then, you know, when you're like, let's say you are trying to go around Russia. Um, There are ways that you can do it, you know, more quickly. If you just wanna drive to a border uh, and, you know, take a photo and turn around, Um, you know, that's, that's okay. Uh, but it's better, you know, and I've learned over the years, it's, it's just better to just stop and do more. And if you're, the more you stop and stay, the more you, you, you meet people, the better experience that you're going to have, um, and, and fonder memory. So it's a lot of times it's just how much time do you have? But I mean, for Russia, I don't think, I don't think it'd be possible to you just stay there for four months and, and cover the whole thing. Um, or at least I I wouldn't want to do it that way. It's sort of like you have to, you, you break it down into maybe 10 Oblasts, uh, blasts, and take a trip or like whatever you can do in the summertime when you have the time. So, you know, Russia for me, I was focused on, on, on trying to cover every place, but it, Came over the course of like six six different trips of like really really driving around or flying, or um, you know a couple a couple of times it was just hanging out you know in Moscow, um, yeah. and I still there's all the Arctic islands I don't have. I spent two days waiting for a helicopter to try to go to the um, Kuril Islands, yeah. and uh, it was in Kamchatka and uh, fog never lifted. Now, now of course, there's an airport there that has, um, you know, that has the the highest level of uh, landing systems. So you can, so the transport is much more regular now. But so that Kiribati islands are outstanding uh, for me. Uh, but you have to have the motivation to to want to go everywhere. You know. Yeah, you have- there's
0: been there's been tales about you, and I want to run them by you, and I'm not sure you if they are even true. So. Um, there is this tale that you've been going on a trip with apparently a newborn at home, and then uh, you uh, you've been taking off for a sixty day trip, probably was planned way ahead to a remote island, a sixty days round trip. I don't know if this is even true, but those are tales being told about you. Is that something you've done? And that's that, that seems like some extreme dedication to the cause.
1: Yeah, it's actually worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, for Bouvet Island. Um, You know, I I really most. I have to say, most of most of my actual travel I was doing full time was before uh, before I had kids. So you're talking about my or my first child born in 2003, next one 2005, and then 2008. So I was really trying to push before the end of 2003 um, and try and finish the TCC on the Guinness. So Bouvet Island is a really difficult place. It's the most remote, uh, the most remote island in the world, most remote piece of land in the world, and uh, it's way in the middle of the South Atlantic. and And there's just like hardly any way to get there. It's not, it's not on the way to anything. So um, when the Opportunity came up, it had been, you know, many years in the making, and it kind of came out of the blue where a guy from South Africa called me and said, you know, basically we're going to, I have the chance. We can take you on the, on our Antarctic research vessel. Um, we're going to be leaving in five days or something. So at that time, my first child was just a month or or two old. And, uh, you know, and I had to talk seriously to my wife about it. Um, and she, she supported me, uh, and so it, that was like a really special circumstance, um, and we were 72 days at sea. So the whole thing was like, you know, 70, 75, or or 80 days of being gone. Um, and you know, it wasn't it it wasn't just Bouvet we wound up being able to visit. Bouvet was in the first uh, first five days. So five days sailing out of Cape Town. And we were able to, to land Norwegian, Norway owns uh bouvet. And so they had to change out a weather station and by weather stations, just like this little ball size of a bowling ball with antennas and stuff. So they had, um, they had to put a new one down and tie it with, with strong cables. So it won't blow away. Um, and the South Africans had to pick up some rubbish that was there from the last time three years ago that anyone had set foot on there. So I was able to go on the helicopter, but, you know, after that, there's no, there's no like exit ramp from that trip. Um, and, and so I spent Christmas and new year's with the, with the crew. They were bringing all the South Africans down to their summer base, uh, to, to, to the Sanai base where they spend this, have like four weeks of spending the summer doing their experiments that they plan all year for, and then switching out the crew, um, and bringing, bringing them home so while they were doing that on the base we on the ship were going all the way across the south atlantic and we landed on the most remote island of south sandwich which is south tule which turns out to have been involved in the falklands war uh we were stuck in ice for two weeks during that during that time so there's a there's a lot of stuff going on but there wasn't any way just to say hey you know can you let me off here and I'm, i'll go home so yeah. it was that, definitely the longest that I've been at sea, and it happened to be right when my daughter was first born.
0: Yeah. Well, that, these additional details make, make it a much more reasonable trip, right? But that's that's not what you uh, assume <laughs> when you first hear it, right? When you, when you hear, it's like Twitter and uh, a long-form yeah. conversation, right? There is, there's a lot
1: to it. There's just a couple of things you just made me think of um, when we're coming, coming back. So, you know, we've been in very cold climate for, for a long time and out of civilization. So and coming back when um, it was like the day before we were going to hit Cape town, uh, it started getting a little bit warmer and, you know, we were, we were going to see Cape town on the horizon. So I was stood up on deck and uh, I just kept standing there looking and looking and looking and I got sunburnt. Like I got so sunburned that my, uh, my skin. The next day, three days, my skin peeled off. I had to go to like a, a salon to have them peel the peel the skin off and put some some stuff on my face. Uh, but that was one thing. And then the next thing was like, you, you, when you're gone from civilization for so long, like I just, I would stand there at an ATM uh, because you're using barter system on the boat, or maybe you had a, a credit card number or something. Uh, but to go to an ATM and just like put your card in and have money come out, have people walking all around you, it just—it seemed so crazy and and strange and foreign. I felt like a like a caveman or something. It was—it was extremely unique for anyone who hasn't been gone so long from from society. It was pretty freaky, actually.
0: I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, do you have the opportunity to take your children now on your trips now that they are probably a little older? um, Do you travel with them? Do do, do you feel that's something important you want to share with them?
1: Well, you know, we did. So there's a, there's a financial component also, but we, we, we did um, when they were very little, we did some, some traveling with them and tried to try to like work it in. Um, After that, it's just, it's been, we divorced and have three kids and, you know, money got to be a lot tighter. So, um, it hasn't, it hasn't, I I would love to, but it hasn't really been as possible. Um, I I try to bring the kids at least to the East coast of the United States where I grew up, uh, once a year in the summer so that they can see that side of the family and also, you know, understand that there's different things than California uh, out there. Uh, but one thing i learned with small children is they don't really remember too much about about the travel like they they had been to the south of france and you know they just don't remember anything you have to tell them that they were there and they don't really start to appreciate until maybe you know 14 years old or so so they're just getting to that age and so for this christmas i i promised at least to my two girls to take them where they where they wanted to go and they um they decided they want to go to Europe and go to Dubai. So we're just waiting for the COVID openings, uh you know, when it when they will allow us in to be able to do that trip. So uh, I, I you know there's finances but also just the kids should really be old enough to really appreciate it. All, otherwise it's a lot yeah, of I
0: think you you you'll have both. Um I took my children Um, to probably 40, 50 different countries by now. And we did um, trips when they were quite little, um, like two years old. Um, Mm -hmm. And we kept doing it, I'd say, two or three months every year um, that I've been on the road with them. And what what happened is I fully agree, yes, they they forget a lot. 90% of the early memories, they don't exist anymore. But I think there's an intrinsic... comfort to be in a different environment and mm-hmm. um, they make their own little maps where they've been and so they have yeah, the yeah. map, and then they do the markers and um, right. we, we keep repeating this so they're 13 now so they're, they're twins so they, they know quite a bit and uh, we haven't been traveling for, for plenty of reasons the last two years as much but they really miss it before they were like oh no no, we don't want to go on another trip please stop <laughs> we want to stay home and play with our toys and i'm like no no we have to right. go take some toys and that was always cruel and now all i can 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 hear and I think this, this there is a certain relationship they've built with this idea of travel. They have all their places, they have their map, mm-hmm. and they know where they want to go. They say they, they kind of plan the trips that I, yeah, yeah. we all should together or that I should take. Um, and I think that's I'm really proud of that, right? So it, it, it's uh, yeah. really something that I nurtured, and I wasn't sure what would happen. I'm like, will they remember? Will will anything come out of it? And I feel there is something left, but it might be that by the time they turn eighteen and they're like Travel is the awards that, mm-hmm. we never want to do it again. I kind of doubt that, but it could be.
1: Yeah, I've heard I've heard it go both ways. Uh, no, so let me let me just say that's fantastic. If I could have done things that way, uh, I, I probably I probably would have, um, but it just wasn't that, that wasn't the way things went for me. Yeah. Um, and and the kids, you know, they they do have some small memories of we used to go to um tofino in in canada on vancouver island uh every year and you know they see pictures and they have little vague memories went to um went to a place in fiji uh one year and they you know they remember that and they do want to They, they 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 want to go i think they're going to get a lot more out of it now and, you know, if I, could have, if I could have done it your way, I definitely, I would have, um, and, they, and they would be better, better travelers now, I think.
0: Yeah. When you talk about places that you felt out of your experience, they were quite surprising in a positive way. So mm-hmm. when we encounter new places, we have a certain set of expectations, um, realistic or not. Uh, we go there and then sometimes it's a big letdown and sometimes it's poor for a variety of reasons. We feel this is a really positive surprise. I think for a lot of travelers, and and I include myself into this for the most part, there is the idea of you have friendly locals, you have an environment that's relatively safe. um, It's Mm -hmm. good food, it's pretty affordable. You don't feel like you're being ripped off all the time. Um, That that really constitutes often something that is more, more positive. But again, our expectations play a big role.
1: Yeah. When I'll
0: ask you what what would you feel like is your top five of these positive surprises? What would you tell
1: me? Wow, well, uh, well let me let me just say first that you know marketing plays a big role in um, marketing, word of mouth, Instagram now, in terms of what people think they want, you know, in terms of where they, they think they want to go if they haven't traveled all that much. Um, and usually the positive surprises come when you just don't have any opinion whatsoever and then you say hey this is actually something that was really good and or you know it could just be your own particular experience that you found someone really nice in some town somewhere and got to eat a dinner at their at their house or whatever whatever it may be that you had a particularly good experience so it's hard to absolutely predict, but uh, you know, you and I were chatting earlier and you mentioned, you know, Thailand, for example, that people would have a set of expectations about what Thailand is like. Usually there's when you have one of those that's heavily marketed, like just look nearby to something that's like that, like, like Myanmar has many regions which are undiscovered for tourists and you know, things are cheaper. It's not as overrun, and you can have some you know equally good or more authentic experiences uh right next door and and probably it's gonna you're gonna enjoy more because it's not as crowded or or you just didn't have that expectation so yeah. you know I think probably I had more anticipation than than other people but you know just to give a top 5 i'd say lebanon jumps to mind uh because most people don't think of lebanon as they think of it more in terms of uh negative things that happen in being near syria and having um iranian influence but just the hospitality uh and the cuisine the scenery like just such the nicest people and um so that that was that's a surprise you know and for that matter iran uh for americans people think that that uh you just think of the ayatollah and you think of of people being kidnapped but the hospitality there and the cultural diversity is is, is 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 world class um south america i think that um you know i think people are going more and more to uh bolivia but bolivia to me was Um, a really nice surprise compared to Peru where, um, you know, if you go to Machu Picchu, it's pretty, it's usually pretty, pretty crowded. so that's an example of things that really heavily marketed that you have expectations about. But I I mean, actually, like I just went to um, Cajamarca in the middle of, in the middle of Peru. Like I last year, right before the lockdown, I was going to some parts of, Ecuador and Peru and Bolivia that I hadn't been before and almost every place was more enjoyable than What I expected or where I'd been before because it was all kind of undiscovered authentic Um, It's part of that was expectations part of that is maybe that I'm a little better at traveling now than I was before when I went nearby and part of it's just because it's off the beaten beaten track, and people, yeah. you, know, you come there and people are like, whoa, look, you're not from here, and that's, you know, there's yeah, still... Yeah, you don't get
0: that in Lima or in, in Cusco, no. but they're still really pretty. Uh, I, I felt Lima was, was one of those places that I didn't have any expectations for, yeah. but it has this similar weather than San Francisco. It has this cold fog coming in, and the sunny periods are really nice, but it's... There's beautiful gardens all over the area of Miraflores. Um, it's extremely safe, and if the sun comes out, they have this beautiful beach down. It's 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 not a real; it's more a city beach, so it's kind of rocky. Yeah, yeah. But I was really surprised how how intense the sun is, or how the, the the waves are, and what. It's just one of those, I don't know, I have this childhood experience of strong sun and the cold water. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what I found there it was next to the fruit, And I'm like, oh, this is going to be terrible, but it was awesome. So it was kind of a strange experience, but I really fell in love with Lima. But it's definitely all right.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe my, uh, the way I categorize Lima differently than you right now is because I've been there, been there a few times. And it's more like a transit place for me now. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm thinking back on Cape Town. I remember first going to Cape Town. Has your perceptions changed over time? When I first went to Cape Town, of course, I went down to the Cape of Good Hope. And, and I just said, my God, I've really, this is the farthest ever. i am really come to the end of the earth here. And this is the farthest I'll ever be able, I'll ever go. This is before I, you know, found the TCC and started doing all this crazy traveling. But, wow, this is really it. Uh, you know, I've been to the edge, uh, now I'll go back, and then I've been back to Cape Town what, like 10, 20 times since then, and it's a, it's a, it's a transit point.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, I fully agree. Then. I mean, the last couple of times I went to Cape Town, I skipped the city entirely, and I went straight either east or north, um, which is odd, right? So there seems to be always an, an ultimate frontier that we are looking for, and always this, this, yep. this. It it's,
1: in, it's in your mind because it's, it's all depends on what, where you've, where you've been before. Like for the, one of the only trips I've done this year, or the only real trip I've done this year is to, um, uh, it was with a group of, of similar travelers and one guy organized a really nice boat. And the, the main goal was to get to Clipperton Island, which is a French Island in the Pacific ocean off of Mexico. It's like, 700 miles off the coast of Mexico um, and I had, I had been there. I had gone through the whole adventure of getting there on a fishing boat a long time ago, uh, 2003. Uh, so I had been, but none of the other people had been because it's really one of the most rare places in the world. However, this, this, uh, voyage also stopped at the, uh, which is the islands south of Baja which is set aside as separate World Heritage National Park for Mexico. And it's, it's separate, certainly on MTP. Most people consider it separate from Mexico. We were going to stop there and that's new for me. So as we came to Clipperton, I was, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's Clipperton. I've been there and you know, it wasn't so much of a enormous deal for me. I was like pointing things out to all the other people. Um, yeah, of course, I want to land, and and uh, it has changed over the years. So it's something also that you notice. But uh, where, where, how you think about places really has a lot to do whether you've been there before. As I had said, this is one of the most rare places in the world. Everyone's like flipping out. It's the, a lifetime achievement, and I'm thinking, yeah, well, okay, it's fine.
0: Well, what I. The jadedness of, of frequent travelers um, is, exactly. is definitely a problem, right? So we, we see that. I remember, for instance, my, my first international first-class trip. I, I was so excited I couldn't contain myself. And uh, I had no idea what was going on, right? I expected right. Um, economy service, but it was quite different. Um, and yeah. uh, I find myself in a similar position, you know, a couple of years later, um, say five years later, and there was, I don't know what it was, someone didn't give me the champagne after two minutes of I sat down, and I was bitching <laughs> about it, right? So it's, it's, it's weird what happens in your mind about something that from, from, from every point of view, the people who look at you, you're the same person, right? You're maybe a little older, but no. you look, you're the same, the same box, I would say, for better or worse, they put you in. But for you, the experience is completely different because right. of that set of expectations, a set of prior experiences you built. And that's quite devilish and that it brings out this, this certain arrogance and i think this happened to a lot in, just before covid that people when i travel to places and I, I have a good mix between you know that are heavily traveled heavily touristed, and then they're pretty empty but i felt the the crowd that was really annoyed about that trip that wasn't excited at all that basically mm-hmm. complained about the most little things out there that had no patience when the internet was slow that was just basically in the instagram world much less where the place that they've been they didn't appreciate it these people were always they always were a share of tourism right so this is nothing new Mm -hmm. but i it seemed like they suddenly constituted 90 percent of whoever goes there yeah so something strange was going on so this dark side of tourism had really taken over and uh it, that's kind of, for a lot of people now, COVID obviously is reset, where they, they're basically mm-hmm. all restrained. This is a skepticism. We don't travel any anymore because it's dangerous. Maybe it is. Uh, that's that. obviously a personal um, decision. But a lot of these people are relatively young, right? They're in their 20s or 30s. So the risk of COVID is relatively small. Um, how did that happen? What did COVID um, change for you This this whole crisis, is reset, where we are forced to stay mm-hmm. home, where you look at your own walls? Has it changed anything, or you the same person
1: as a year ago? Yeah, I mean, well, for me, it's uh, I'm busy building the website, and my kids are 13, 15, 17 now. So, you know, it feels like I can't I can't really go the way I the way I want to, and it's been you know it's been that way for a couple of years now. So I don't feel like COVID is all that much different. Um, I I, yeah, I did have to shut, shut things down completely for a while, but I don't, I, I don't feel like I miss it as much as, cause I, I feel like beforehand I was really doing a lot of travel and I feel like sort of satisfied. Well, that being said, uh, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to take my two girls this year, um, is because when, you know, when Europe opens, uh, it's it's going to be, you know, not deserted, but it's going to be an ability to see places without I like that how you of, say when, not if. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in the, probably in the summertime when, yeah, hopefully, when like, I would, I've avoided for the last 20 years because it's just more and more, more and more overrun. Um, so yeah, that. I'm
0: I I, sorry to interrupt, but I went to CRET last October, which is always kind of a late season. To where? And, um, to Crete, the greek island
1: oh with uh,
0: and um i felt it's it was it was almost strangely calm like i was still in the tourist town but there were no other tourists everything was closed actually uh, right. there was no other shops open i mean the locals went about their business nothing had really changed there right. um I, but I didn't have a comparison. I, I have, hadn't been there before, so it might have been completely overrun. But now there was like two docks on the beach, and that was it. There was literally yeah. nobody else. So it was kind of creepy too. I, at some point, I wasn't even sure if I prefer that because before you have all these tour services, you have restaurants, you have tons of competition. But it was like one restaurant in the whole town yeah. that was still running, so I wasn't actually so sure if that's th- better to be there now.
1: I think I think you know, in that case, it's, it depends whether you've been there before and like. I one of the few places I went right in the middle of everything last year it was in June I went to Portugal Because I there was a, a, a luncheon and some friends were doing it uh, And I wanted to attend there but also it was kind of To try and prove as an American uh, still the, one of the only Americans I know that got through when you know, Europe was officially closed my friend and I found a way to um to transit through Heathrow and it you know it was kind of the same kind of excitement where we didn't know if we were going to be able to board the plane at every step of the way. So it was like when we finally landed and got in, it was like, oh, this is amazing. But um going around World Heritage Sites in, in Portugal, uh they were abandoned and because I had been really locked down and crowds just the year before, in Portugal, in Sintra and some other places, I really appreciated it. I thought, no, this is this is fantastic. Can get whatever groceries you need. If you know, restaurant is serving takeaway, whatever. I will take it a million times versus being being. You know, it feels like Disney World uh, in some of these some of these places, um, yes. especially in June. So. I, you know, on on your situation in Crete, I would I would say probably you're lucky there. I did want to say um also just regarding the sort of dark side and Instagrammers and so on, you know, there's a there's a time in my life for up until let's say two years ago, uh and I had a, a girlfriend uh who's a lot younger and one of the reasons that we we were together for about six, seven years, and one of the reasons that we were uh, together for so long and that I wanted to be with her was because the first time that we traveled together, she was so enthusiastic and uh you know bright eyed to see something new and was like running around taking pictures and just and just very fun and articulate and beautiful and all those other things. but the traveling together it made me realize that um, if we went together we could go to a place like Machu Picchu or you know wherever it may be, some place that I'd already been, but it felt new to me because I was seeing it through her eyes. You know like Cape Town we went and climbed up Table Mountain and did all these all these other things and it gave me a reason to want to do to plan out a, a trip. See how places have changed, but do it do it really in a fresh way. So yeah. you know, there it's definitely possible to get that new point of view, um, and maybe that would be the same thing going with kids, right? Uh, yeah, to an extent,
0: I, I I can I can fully see that, and I think what I've realized the motivations of why I travel have changed slightly. Um, certainly, it's more additive; they haven't been replaced, but. I, for a while, I thought of myself um, as a pretty, pretty decent photographer. So I went mm-hmm. to people, and I, I, I preferred to, to go to places where I find the right setup for my photography. I'm not that interested in it anymore, in, in so much into, into great photography anymore. Um, That's tough. Water, that-
1: you need to, you know, a lot of times you need to get up pretty early to catch the light. Or hang around. Exactly. So
0: there was <laughs> there was you look at things completely differently. And then I, I, I had these these I, I I talked about it on a different podcast. A friend of mine, whenever we went to a new place, he would look out for synagogues. So he had his Jewish heritage angle. That was the most important thing when he traveled. Yeah. So he went to the synagogue, even if there was just one person left. We we would go there. We, yep. um, usually it was almost abandoned um, or it was more, sometimes they were beautiful and, and brand new. But there was a particular angle he looked at and that was kind of his um, his his motivation to see how these places changed over time or when he's been there before or just see how this Jewish heritage has, mm-hmm. has um, survived over the years. And I think if you add these motivations, these layers of why you go, that kind of makes it so interesting because you go back to the same place. Otherwise, it would be jaded if you look through the same prism. But if right, you added right. a couple of new prisms, say you're suddenly very interested in education and you go to a couple of schools or you go to mm-hmm. orphanages, or suddenly you become interested in macroeconomics and you you, you uh, yeah. kind of survey all the roads or you become interested in animals and look at the zoos. I think there's tons of stuff you can, you can add. But but the jadedness are often compared to, to what teenagers suffer from, because they, they suffer from being extremely bored, right? So they, they are 13 and 14, 15. They they, they spend their life with the fear of being even more bored. That's what they tell me. We don't want to be bored, right?
1: Who who said that?
0: My my, my children. They, oh, okay. they are with many teenagers. Not necessarily even when we travel, but it sets in even when we travel. Yeah, yeah. And but it's the wrong abstraction layer. So what I'm trying to say is we, we look at certain things and say oh we know all this already. Right. that's kind of me being in first class and being an idiot um, instead of looking at it from a different way where i add, look slightly look below in that abstraction layer and find something that's new something i'm curious about and that's kind of a mental exercise that's tough to do and i i sometimes i'm not sure and i think you're, you're way ahead of me there but a lot of people with with their trouble they they strive for this. They strive for new experiences. What they find is just a weird reflection of their own in a different place, and then travel doesn't work yeah. anymore, right? So they, yeah. they kind of they become jaded. They become like, unhappy, disappointed with their travel experiences.
1: Yeah, no, it's there's there's a the kind of people that um, it's you know it's like a very American breakfast dish to have pancakes, and like some places in the world they catch on, but they do it because it was an American cuisine and uh like i know people who travel and they're like you know why can't i just want to have some pancakes they try and take their same routine and put it in a different place and that just doesn't work for me the whole joy is in fine is figuring out a different routine trying it if you like it or not Uh, i was just listening to your story about interests and and gaining new experiences like it can it could be through seeing it from a younger person's eyes. But maybe I would guess that you actually became more interested and excited about getting to a new synagogue uh, because your friend was excited about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe you had the interest before or not. but uh, from, I, mean, I
0: was never really religious until a couple of years ago. That's a new thing for me.
1: But when you're with someone and you're traveling, you're like, <clears throat> sometimes you're like, Oh, you know. Look, we if we press if we press harder, we could get to this other synagogue by before nightfall. You start getting into the same yeah. into the same interest as they are, and you never ever would have thought that way before.
0: Yeah, I mean, for a while, I think for for one summer, I went pretty much all over France just looking at churches, and I became an expert in architecture and, and like every little glass detail. And but because my girlfriend was interested in that, but I, I had no idea really. I mean, I knew what was taught in school, and that was it but I got really good at this and I found it really fascinating but mm-hmm. it, it never lasted so I mean I, I forgot all about that so I think it's this this if, if it's we become a mirror of ourselves and I think this escapism works for a short while but it's it's not helping if you don't if you don't add another layer to like a vertical or horizontal layer depending on how you want to look at this where we can find new experiences wherever, because it seems like you and me too, we're, we're kind of addicted to this new experience, something we, mm-hmm. we learned, something we felt surprisingly safe, or surprisingly uh, satisfied with what we see. And it needs to be a slight differential to what we, we, we expect and what yeah. we're used to. Yeah, the I mean, travel is the only answer. That's what I'm trying to get at.
1: Right. Yeah. And then, and doing it in a new way, whether it's along a different dimension or just the geographic uh, dimension, I mean, I think part of it for me is conquering that new experience, having that uncertainty, and being able to break through. That that gives me a feeling of accomplishment, and um, and then to have the the the, the uh, capability to describe it to other people and be the expert that, that that feeds my ego, like a position of power. I have the knowledge firsthand knowledge. Um, and then, you know, that's just always, always nice to be able to, to talk about it. So it's kind of acquiring, you know, it's just like getting wealthy on, on experiences. And then, um, And then feeling powerful because you can then talk to anybody about it. I mean, one of my favorite things is to get into a taxi, let's say in, in New York city or someplace that has a really diverse population. And then guessing where the person is from just by the way they look or by the name and then being able to talk to them about their hometown. And they're usually extremely surprised and like I remember getting a free, uh, free rental car, because I was the first person this guy running the rental car agency had ever met that knew, that knew where Sierra Leone was and had been there and talked to him. It's like, hey, "Yeah, take the car for free." Uh, it's just, it's just a great feeling to be able to have that kind of connection, and you only, you only get that if you're really interested in, in how everything fits together and, and. You know, want to want to see the patterns of immigration, the patterns of of um, you know how people live, why why uh, two cultures live near each other may fight each other, or why they may have migrated in a different direction. Um, you get you get that, and you appreciate it a lot more by going there and looking around than just reading it in a book. I remember studying studying as a child and intellectually kind of understanding what's going on historically, but going, if you, when you go to the place and then read the book, it's like, wow, this is, was really a powerful book. I really, I, you know, I I, I wish that I had been more careful of a student when I was, when I was younger, because this is really great stuff.
0: Yeah. Have you been inspired by other, books that other travelers have written so I, I for me a great inspiration was Jim Rogers right his his travels oh around God. the world and the economic perspective that he brought to the table I thought it was marvelous I've never read anything like it um, at the time and I probably still remember it as, as one of my best books I've ever read on the topic what would you quote or or, or Larger collections of experiences that are maybe outside of popular culture. We we, we covered James Bond earlier, and Indiana Jones. Yeah. I would I would add the blacklist to this. You know, James Spader. He kind of plays a similar character, a little more wise, a little less flashy. Um, but what what else would you feel like you've been? Well, uh, first of
1: all, Jim Jim Rogers. So I um I was reading uh, his first two books are really 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 good, and so then I would. Um, I read his, his other books, too, but I got the chance to meet him um, at we we, I forget how we first got in touch, but he was um, showing off his car. The first time we met personally was he was showing off his car in um, Monterey at the Monterey Car Show in, in California. You know, the yellow car that he used, to, the Mercedes that was raised up that he used the to one drive from his book. Yeah, so he wrote the motorcycle book first. Yeah. And then he wrote the the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 yeah. yeah, uh-huh. yeah the, the Mercedes yellow that he went with his wife and he got he spent yeah. like a whole chapter describing why he why he had that, you know, he chose that colors and why he had that um, built that way. Uh so he was showing off that car. So we met I invited him to dinner and we went uh three of us with my with my wife to dinner. And uh, she said he was rubbing, trying to rub her leg under the table. (laughs) (laughs) so that, uh, so he's like a flirtatious guy. But um, we then got to, um, we met in New York a couple of times uh, and went to his house and um, helped celebrate, uh, celebrate birthday parties and, and stuff. remember this one situation where, I forget why, but I wound up in possession of his Jim Rogers, like a baby rattle, you know, a little silver thing that when you shake it, it makes noise,
0: Mm
1: a little toy. And I, like, he gave me something and maybe it was inside or whatever. And I remember we were going to be leaving and his wife, like, frantically chasing us down (laughs) if you're holding... Jim Rogers, uh, baby rattle.
0: <laughs> yeah, he is, uh, he's a special kind of personal.
1: He, he was, he, he's a unique dude.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's for sure. But I, I, I found that amazing the way he, uh, it's kind of a modern tale that you expect only happens on TV, But it actually happened, what right? he actually did that. And, uh, it's it's maybe I've, I've forgotten this. I have to reread it. Uh, maybe I forgot yeah. some of the, the the particular adventures, and it's I still want to do some of those routes that he he had covered. So yeah. I want to do the Africa route where I go from Kenya or Ethiopia all the way down, um, and then up to Angola again. Yeah, um, no, he, that's something he, he, I hadn't wrote, done yet.
1: He wrote he wrote very well. Also, um, I you know I have to say that uh, I probably did more travel reading. um, When I was when I was younger and not actually not actually doing doing it. Um, Because I used to love Marco Polo and, um, and uh, read um, Pico Ayer and um, just Hemingway and you know, I would get lost in some of this imagery. um, But as as I was actually traveling more and more, if I were to pick up a book or look something up, it was, it was going to be much more factual of just like, let me Google map this place and just, just get the, get this, the setting. And then I'll figure out from there because I feel like I, I know enough. i I need to put my mental, uh, my mental capacity onto, uh, onto the actual execution of this uh, trip or you know reading it's a bit like
0: art you know when you when you come too close i feel when you realize how it's made it becomes less art right it becomes more the the craft it's the sausage <laughs> yeah you know how it's made and it doesn't it's still a great piece of art but you you feel like you've seen it from the perspective that it ruined it from you um, yeah, especially yeah, yeah. more modern or contemporary art it's a bigger problem and i feel with the travel. um images that we have in our mind and I think that are being put there by good marketers or by good artists and good writers. It's a similar experience. We we have these expectations. Um, we don't really know where it started. We get somewhere and it can be quite a letdown. So the expectations are usually at a 100% perfection, level. as you said earlier, when you yeah. plan something. And the reality can exceed that, but it's often it's much more likely in terms of statistical relevance, it's much more likely a letdown. And so it was for me for the for the World Heritage sites. So what what I experienced most of them I found extremely overrun. They're very expensive because it's usually fifty dollars entrance fee, often more.
1: What? And Where? Are Where are you talking about?
0: Well, Lalibella, for instance. Think about the churches.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. It's free yeah. for the
0: locals, but it's like seventy-five dollars. Right. Um, it was really busy when I went. Um, what's another place um, I went recently? I went to Jordan to Petra. Yep. Beautiful. I like that. And I like this one view from Indiana Jones. It was as good as I expected, but it was crazy expensive and it was really nightmarish, um, the experience in the canyon because there was so many horses and they would literally run you over. There was no, they wanted you to take that horse. And if you were stupid enough not to do that, um, they really wanted you to suffer. So I that was a strange experience. Uh, But I went there at night the next night and it was awesome. There was nobody else there. It was all like candlelight and that kind of redeemed, redeemed it.
1: Well, so then that's like an example of how you gain the power of now you would tell people, hey, don't go during the day, go at night and do it this way. Because that's something that you, that you learned through suffering uh, firsthand. Yeah, it's, um, uh,
0: I, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very Jesus story, right? So I suffered for you <laughs> and uh, you're going to have a better life. You can redeem yourself through me. Uh, there seems to be, you know, René seems to be onto something.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't see myself that way. I just like, you know, like no,
0: obviously not in that that overarching theme, right? But as a little Jesus, as a little little time little problem one. solver. So, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not. not to compare any of us to to.
1: That's right. What Jesus, would what so. would little Jesus do?
0: Exactly, he would suffer for us.
1: <laughs> I was just, and I was thinking of, of these overrun uh, places. When I was with my um, girlfriend, I'm just thinking. For example, in Rome, so she had been subject to all the marketing, and and uh, this wasn't even in this wasn't even in midsummer. It was like I I tried to go in off season. It was pretty like third week of September or so, and we we did a lot of Italy, and we did some amazing things. Like I put together a lot of my knowledge. To get this amazing trip together for two weeks, really jam-packed because we were working at the time, so you couldn't you had to really uh, use your time wisely. But to go through Rome, like I would just skip Rome, but she says no, no, I have to see the Roman Colosseum, and um, I'm like, okay, this is really really important. So I'm like, uh, I found a way to you know to get close. And be able to park without you know to get her very close i'm like okay go ahead and she's someone you're coming with me right I said, no I'm not. I'm not because i've i've been inside of there look at the look at look at the crowds um it's gonna be worse and you just want to go to get your photo and your selfie inside and so i'm gonna stay and watch the car and you know, first she thought that I was, that I was uh, overreacting or something, but she went and, you know, came back after half an hour and like hair like this. And you know, my God, that was, that was terrible. I had to try and make my way through all these like Chinese and Japanese tour groups. It's so hot. It's so crowded. It's not even worth it. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't do it again. And I was like sitting and sitting, you know, Reading the news on on my phone or something in an air-conditioned car, um, or with a breeze open through the windows and it's very comfortable. I'm like, yeah, you know, told you. But so sometimes, yeah, I think you, sometimes you do. Uh, yeah, there
0: what? is there is a limit to to tourism, when it's and it's probably a natural limit, but there is this this dark side, and I think it's it's kind of a responsibility that we have as, as explorers, so to speak, you way more than I am. But it's a responsibility to kind of, I don't know, to educate or to come up with better mm-hmm. models so, so that places are ready to, to deal with this. And I think it, the European capitals had this really bad in 2019 because of lots of discount airlines. They had enormous yeah. fear, yeah. actually, before the summer. For the crowds that would ruin the cities for the locals. But to, to an extent that you wait six, seven hours. I was in I was in Paris and that was at New Year's. It was kind of cold. And um I forgot what the site was. It wasn't an important museum. And I got there and they said, Yeah, it's a six or seven-hour wait. I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? It's, that's the line. And they, you couldn't even make mm-hmm. reservations before Maybe some online tickets, but um most of the line that was waiting out there in the snow was would have waited six hours for a middling museum. It wasn't the right. um, yeah. Louvre. I'm like this. This cannot be real. So there is this dark side, and yes, we can talk about we want to spread out. But sooner or later, everyone wants to go up to the Eiffel Tower. Everyone wants to go to the Louvre, right? Everyone wants to see the yep. other sides of Paris. And they actually probably write Oh, the Louvre is full. So let's go to another place, and I was had like the equal uh, misfortune. And I went to Costa Rica only recently, and I thought they have pulled it off. They they seem to have made for for maybe by sheer luck. Um, maybe by because it was too expensive, mm-hmm. or maybe because they didn't do enough marketing. I don't know what the reason was, but it seemed to be pretty spread out. It seemed to be in harmony with places around them. It wasn't. There were big developments, but you know there were, but because there's a fifty mile ocean, uh, ocean that isn't really developed. Um, it didn't really matter if there was a big development, a big resort. Um, so what time so, of year did you go? Sorry. What time of year did you go? I went in February, just last month.
1: Yeah, so Fe- February is going to be a great time to go there because now, you know, most most people are in school or working, and um, so it's going to be less crowded. But also, Costa Rica doesn't have like this kind of Eiffel Tower places that uh, sure. everyone has to like converge on. It's sort of good places, but all all spread out. So well, I neither sp- does
0: Copi P, and koPP has. Cross yeah, or used it's to still have. It's or...
1: It's still closed. It's like two years. It's been closed because yeah. it's overcrowded. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that's it's just terrible. The, you know, the, and the government did step in, and that was a pollution issue because there are people that actually live there, and um, it, it was just getting like there's like sewage in the waters, and and so. It was getting,
0: Thailand, a place that's not really known for for wise government action let's put it this way
1: yeah 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 so but it was just getting to be so bad most most places like the museum in paris what do they care people are going to wait six hours great well yeah. you know we're we'll yeah. just throwing <laughs> the tickets um, but
0: do you think there is something we can actually do There is something that we can kind of develop as a framework to make this more manageable to make this a more healthy development because it seems to go and follow these boom and bust cycles
1: i mean my what what can what can we do i tell people not to go anytime between june and september (laughs) or you know maybe in in september just find it find a different way or go go to another hemisphere find find a new or different place and just like accept that you're not going to visit the eiffel tower in the middle of summer unless unless you have some like incredible VIP connection that's gonna bring you through all the, all the crowds. Um, don't expect to just be able to go and, and in, enjoy. Well, so you know, a- one, thing,
0: one thing that I wanted to, to say, and I think you, you would be a great inspiration, I think a lot of travelers, from from my point of view, they are being channeled into a relatively finite amount of destinations, and yeah. then in the destinations, there's a finite amount of things to do, things to see before you die, right? It's this bucket list right, thing yeah. very often. And if they would have a wider focus, and if they wouldn't have, and I I realize this in in. Um, Chiang Mai apparently was really famous in China. Everyone was from China. And was, well, yeah. so no other tourists left because apparently there was a movie that took off and everyone in China knew about Chiang yeah. Mai. Uh, if we would find a way to, to educate, but not in a, in, a, in a boring way, but in, a, in, a, in an entertaining, um, adventurous way, if we tell people, well, the, what you're looking for is maybe in more places than just at the Colosseum or the Eiffel Tower, yeah. these well, crowds happens. would disperse.
1: That's well, that's what MTP is about. Like if we don't mention Eiffel maybe Eiffel Tower is a World Heritage site, I don't know, but it you know it's about giving people and it's, there's more than just the 193, even, you know. There's so many different places. Here's a list that is giving you a thousand new ideas about exactly you know, about about where to go. And each one of them has something to offer. And 99% of the time you're not going to be so so miserable uh, if you if you just know how to handle yourself like read the trip reports and and make a decision based on that but your horizons should be a lot a lot wider like 193 is not enough and for me it was the TCC is even not enough that there's so many more places you know and then um, you you can push people from being that like I can only go to where I've been marketed to to the Boris Kester model of like don't don't expect anything no
0: one's right bring your sleeping bag and your yoga mat i mean <laughs> that's certainly the 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 other end of that that spectrum um one thing that i've noticed and maybe that's always been true um so maybe i'm just looking at it the wrong way i feel like the what you know, and what Boris knows, um, and, and other people who've been to lots of places, they're sharing their knowledge and they're very open about sharing their knowledge. But mm-hmm. somehow it hasn't gotten a lot of attention. Like, DD, I think there is viral Instagram posts with millions of likes about this mm-hmm. one really artificial image, um, say from a Greek, Greek beach. But we don't really see this from from the extreme traveler community or maybe the, it is I just I haven't
1: seen it I think we're busy more busy doing it than we are marketing, you know I mm-hmm. uh, think that they quote-unquote influ- there's not so many influencers that are on the top tier of of um, Travelers uh, Because they're trying to make a business uh, Influencing representing brands representing tourism boards, whatever whatever mm-hmm. it may be and so they um, just, it's just like a different focus and then, you know by that influence people are following are, are following that. So yeah, I mean it'd be it'll be great. It, and, but the thing is, like if, if you want to follow Boris Kester, I mean, you don't really want to follow every exact place that he's walking to because then you will have a million people. Well, it's like the it's like the well, you want to do
0: a mix of both. Well, I mean, why not? I would I would start there. To be honest, um, he he has some incredible guides about places I never heard mm-hmm. of, you know, in yeah. Africa. And he goes yeah. to like twenty different places in that country, and like, only has a trip report like relatively long for each particular place. It's amazing. I've never seen that before. And uh, the, the data is available somewhere else, but not in such a clean compilation.
1: Mm-hmm. So- I mean, I think I think the people have to have the attitude that they want to go, they want to go somewhere else, and not. And, and have their own experience, and I I think that probably they have to learn by, you know, learn by having one or two times where they just get shoved into a crowd, and um, you know, and learn that that's that's what's that's what's happening right now. Um, I was just about that topic. I was just in Tulum. People need, I- to learn, need to learn for themselves. Yeah,
0: you're absolutely right. I, I was in Tulum and I you didn't really expect big crowds because it was still coronavirus. But, you know, the, the Mexican coast got a lot of people. So I, I kind of knew there would be some people. And we got to this outdoor site, this Mayan ruins at the at the water. And suddenly you you didn't really see that coming. There were probably 10, 15,000 people. Nobody wears a mask there. And they just stormed through this place. It was really surreal. Um, it was a really strange experience. And there was not a ton of crowds otherwise in Mexico, but right there and they suddenly appeared and they weren't talk groups or anything. I didn't even know where they came right from. Right now it's- Lots of locals.
1: Locals, but also, I mean, Tulum is an example of a place that's just completely transformed based on, you know, it's like used to be for PP Island, Co-Tao is like the underground of ravers that all want to converge in one place to party and, um, I mean, I remember going to Tulum in whenever 2005, and there was hard, it was pretty sleepy. Like it was just being developed to the South and it was amazing. It was fantastic. And so I always wanted to come back there and I brought my girlfriend back there, um, 2013, 2014, it was already pretty, pretty built up. Um, and you can see the construction and the, you know, was putting a strain on the sewage systems because that's like a kind of narrow strip of very sandy uh, land down there. But it was like all best fish tacos in the world, the most extreme yoga retreats. And you're just starting to hear more and more about that's where people are going to party. Like, oh, yeah, of course, they're spending New Year's in Tulum. And you know what
0: like, Tulum like, is the new place to be. Like the Burning sure.
1: Man, Burning Man on the beach kind of thing, almost. Yeah. yeah. And when it blows up like that. It can't. It, it's. It's never going to be the the way that it was. So I am not surprised at all that even during the coronavirus, you would you were getting, uh, you know, it's still Mexico's open, and so you're you're getting everyone trying to go to Tulum. We look yeah. at. Um, Look it was not
0: uh, crowded, but it was this one place where I, I couldn't see that. Yeah. I didn't see that coming, that there would be this massive yeah. crowd out of nowhere. And, uh, but absolutely you're right. Um, the, when you think about these places, like you just mentioned, Kotao and there used to be P, and it seems to be yeah. something that, that keeps on wandering. So it's a moving target where this, this crowd um, congregates right now. What other places for you would come to mind that are still have a bit of this original hipster feeling, so to speak?
1: I may be not the not the best person to ask about <laughs> about okay, what's nice. cool about what's cool right now. Um, I know what, what felt that way at the time. I mean, but it's it that is really driven by a lot by backpackers. So, yeah. uh, like um, Laos, like Luang Prabang was that way, and now it's getting a little bit too too much. So people are going then to the to the secondary cities in Laos. You know. But yeah, if you just get kind of on the backpacker circuit and you ask where people are going, that's like magnets, word word of mouth. Because people are they're going to, you know, hook up and drink and smoke and do whatever whatever else. And that's like real time information. And they're not following so as much of the of the like the um, high end Instagram people. I don't think
0: yeah, so. No, for sure, it's a different crowd. When you think and I'm about, going, I'm
1: going off of yeah. the list of remote places because I haven't been. And if I haven't been, then it's probably not on anyone's radar, really, all that much. So, um,
0: yeah.
1: I'm probably a bad person to ask about what's cool.
0: <laughs> when you think, when you think about the next twenty years, where do you feel is travel going? Will we see hundreds of thousands of people chasing 193 countries. And I know, I remember the list was really, really tiny 20 years yeah. ago and now it's substantial. I, I think it's a few hundred people maybe. And it's accelerating
1: thousands. too. Yeah, it's, it's like 300. And, um, but so many people are trying to do that now. So I think that, I think that it's going to be, um, It's it, I think that's going to continue. And more people are going to be getting onto the, to the larger lists. I, I, Definitely there's more people pursuing extreme travel than ever before. The information is better than ever before. Um, The maps, the Google Maps, the satellite coverage for, um, and and Wi-Fi, everything is just better and easier uh, than it it was before. So like before you couldn't even know about these places. You still can't physically get to, you know, all these places in, in a lifetime. Um, so like it's a small world, but you can't really cover all of it. And so it's still, it's, it's still going to remain an open challenge, but people are going to be able to, and they're going to try to do more and more. So I think, I think the people are really going to try to get all the world heritage sites and actually try to complete, um, MTP, or at least like from the UN go to the UN plus list, which is like, a, um, 264. So that's that's like the UN plus French Polynesia is different and things like that. So um, yeah, I think that's going to keep expanding, and um, you know, I, I do think that I do think that the world capitals are going to continue to experience overcrowding, and that probably going to have to put in some kind of quota system, you know, yeah. uh, or or reservations, and uh, you know, to know before you go. Like uh, you know, like Bhutan, for example, where you need to you need to apply basically and set things up in advance.
0: Yeah, I fully agree with you. I I feel given these mega trends that people can work from home, and I think this is going to continue, even if yeah. some people will go back to offices. You will see a lot of people who have the ability, the lifestyle to pretty much live mm-hmm. and work from anywhere they want, and that obviously gives you this 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 entry drug into travel, right? So you see 50, 60, 70, 80 countries you can mm-hmm. work from anywhere, it looks similar. Well, you can yeah. get by with some English, maybe you need some Spanish, some Chinese, some Russian, but that's about it, maybe some French. And uh, to get to get a basic life to work in, in in what digital nomads envision, right? So they get a lot of dirty rap, but I think there's some really powerful ideas behind it. And there's a lot of, you know, world peace behind it. There's always my, my yeah. saying, you will never nuke a country you just visited because you're so angry about that country. It won't happen, right? right? You will come back and say, okay, that wasn't great, but it wasn't ter- it wasn't terrible either. You will not be enemies with that country. I think nobody's really enemies with any country anyways. Um, we just get this. These are made-up political ideas. But it gets harder if the population is, you know, pushing hard against that. Because maybe China is our enemy, but it doesn't mean we have to go to war with them.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know... It, it, all the, the trends are for the good. It's the logistics of, of managing crowds that, um, you know, that, that comes into play and that's during, during certain seasons, like Oktoberfests in, you know, in yeah. Munich. If people want to go, they think it's going to be this great party, but I think, I, I don't know a lot of people who, who travel there and want to go back and do it again. Um, so, uh, you know, either, maybe there's some people that really like those kind of crowds, but I, I, I believe that there's going to have to be some kind of quota system where people are just going to have to, you know, learn for themselves and recognize that they should be diverting. And also, you know, I would hope that, that the, the way people get educated is that they would be less prone to just accepting the marketing on face value and like only focus on Bora Bora versus any of a hundred different Pacific islands that are really beautiful um, where you could have a nice experience. And also, um, you know, trying to be open to learning like about about the local culture or just trying to experience in the shoes of a local person as opposed to just trying to get that selfie You know, and that's, you know, that's, that's something that's gonna, it's never gonna go away, but I think that, I think that generationally, we are so much different than people were in in the 1950s, for example, about our understanding of so many different places. And um, the only, like the only times that Americans got, were were traveling was because they're in the military you know, and so they only saw things from that point of view. I think I think the world has come a really, really long way. And the fact that there are all these crowds is because it's accelerated so fast. So I, I don't yeah. I don't see that changing. No one's gonna be backing off of the same things that are that have gotten them thirsty for these experiences. They're gonna wind to wanna want to find new and different ones. So hopefully it will kind of filter out and distribute a little bit better. And uh, people want to be doing their own thing and not just following the, the crowd.
0: Yeah, I've, I've heard from people who went to Hawaii over the last 12 months that it was pretty calm. It was difficult to get to, and then they instituted the coronavirus yeah. testing regime. Sure. And yeah, it's certainly. gotten a little easier. But now suddenly it's gotten really busy again. They say you have to wait like an hour at Starbucks, and it's like, because there's still restrictions in place in terms yeah. of social distancing. It's gotten so crowded that it's like the crowded, most crowded in terms of impression it's ever given to them. Like Waikiki, especially Honolulu, because that's an island you can actually go to
1: relatively yeah. easily. I, I, I read. I haven't been recently, but I read. Um, I read that it's busy. I I sincerely doubt that it's, you know, as busy as it's ever been. I mean, it's just like relative to last year, it's it's relatively busy, and you do have these restrictions. So, and there's also some conflict. Because people are showing up from states where they didn't—they're not required to wear a mask, and in Hawaii you're actually required to wear a mask. Um, And so there's some conflict with 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 enforcing that. If you just came from Idaho, and you say, "Well, I'm from Idaho, we don't have to—we don't have to wear it." And you came on vacation, and you think it's an affront to your personal freedom, and you think you're coming to Hawaii to relax, and they're making you wear a mask so there's some it's not it's not as much of a paradise as people would hope it's not empty and they also they really do have the restrictions there's some yeah
0: yeah absolutely that that is going to remain a challenge well charles uh, i really thank you for taking the time i learned so much Uh, thanks for taking us on this trip around the world so to speak
1: sure Torsten. i mean it's it's great to meet you and um you know i think it was kind of uh uh, rambling and just open open thought but uh, I think we covered a lot of stuff and I you know I hope to uh, I hope to hear more from you in the future and um, best wishes to everybody out there uh, and travel more that sounds like a good motto <laughs> Charles, thanks for doing this alright see, see you Torsen thank, thank you, you. bye bye